This is Performance Deliver, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is effective marketing for higher education. Here to speak with me is Joe Salucio, who is the EVP and Chief Operating Officer at Claremont Lincoln University, a nonprofit graduate university that provides master's degree programs online to engage in positive social change. Joe is one of the nation's foremost online higher education experts and has led a broad range of educational institutions, including regionally accredited nonprofit and for profit universities and a nationally accredited for profit college. Specifically, his extensive experience in scaling marketing and enrollment activities have driven the success of many of the institutions he has served. Joe, welcome to the show. It is an absolute honor to be here, Stefan. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Joe, before we, before we explore today's topic, I always like to find out a little bit more about my guests. Tell our listeners about how you get started in your career, especially as it relates to marketing. Um, that's a, oh boy, that's a good question. I, I will tell you, um, I am the quintessential zero direction college student. I went to my undergraduate program at a state school in New York. I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. So I found the easiest possible major I could find called speech communications, which I don't even know what that is. I always joke, Stefan, that I have a BS in BSing. And uh, that's that's truly what uh, speech communications is, and, because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So, you know, fast forward, I, I, I get out of uh, my undergrad. I have absolutely no idea what I want to do. And I start working whatever job I could find. And I started with a blood bank in Colorado. Um, I had moved to Colorado. I started with a blood bank. And here I am trying to recruit blood donors, which believe it or not, was actually a pretty tough job. Maybe one of the toughest jobs I ever had because who wants to get a needle put in your arm and stop in and give blood? Anyway, things progressed. I got into higher education very early. I was just very good at it. And I, and I had done some outside sales work and not really liked it. And, and you know, higher ed combined sales and education. And uh, I enrolled students. I enrolled a lot of students. And I started to really understand what it took to acquire a student and what costs were associated with that and how to spend money and where to spend money and how often I should look at how that spend is being allocated. And we, we in higher education look at conversion rates, uh, you know, how, how, how much you spend, how many leads you generate and how many of those leads turn into students, which is very similar to a lot of under, other industries that are looking at sales or customers. And for us, you know, putting that business infrastructure around higher education is really important. Otherwise, you don't understand where your money's going. And so that's, you know, just progressed in my career and marketing and enrollment really is the foundation for any organization, any institution in higher education that wants to be successful has to have enough students. And if you want enough students, you've got to be really, really good at marketing. And, and it just progressed. Uh, and I just, you know, increased through my roles and worked lucky enough to work with great mentors that gave me freedom and, and to be creative and, and have access to understand all the complicated concepts in higher education. And, and then here I am today. Interesting. So you said you kind of tried to figure out what does it take to acquire students? So let's let's talk about that. From a marketing perspective, 
you know, as for any companies, there are several marketing solutions that can be used, whether it's mm. offline and online. What does it take to acquire a student? Mm. In terms of actual dollars, or you mean the effort, <laughs> or both? Well, probably in the first place, the effort, right? Because the dollar comes later on when, when they get the invoice for the education. Sure. Well, here, here's the thing, Stefan. It, it's a, if you had asked me that question pre-coronavirus, you would have gotten a slightly different answer than, than there is now. And here's why I say that. Basically, every single institution in the country has gone online, either because they want to or because they had to. And coronavirus became a catalyst for things that were really already in motion, right? There are a lot of institutions across the United States experimenting with online. Maybe they're dipping their toe in the water, but then coronavirus hits and then everybody says, okay, if I'm going to maintain my operations, if I'm going to serve my students, I've got to operate online. Well, now everyone is toying with the digital frontier or entering the digital frontier. If you're an institution who hasn't invested time and dollars into digital marketing before because you either haven't had to or haven't wanted to, it's competitive. It's very competitive. And so the effort to acquire a student right now, particularly at my institution, right? Claremont Lincoln University has exclusively offers graduate degree programs. So we don't have an undergraduate degree. We don't have alumni that complete a bachelor's degree and then come on to get a master's, you know, so that we're enrolling the same student and keeping our acquisition costs low. We're enrolling students that have graduated from other institutions later in life, the adult student. And so it's very difficult to find students where they are, when they're ready. And the student, uh, Stefan, is a consumer, right? More than ever, education has become commodified. They're, they're looking at multiple institutions. They're comparing costs. They're really smart about how they pick college based on a return on investment, based on reducing debt. And so you have to cover so much more ground now than offering quality education. Quality education is what you have to offer, but there are other things you have to offer to the consumer. And so by the time you get to marketing, where are they? Are they ready? You know, what does it take to get in front of them? How many messages? And are you offering a level of service as a part of marketing that gives that student an opportunity to move through your process quickly, right? Because nobody likes to wait anymore for anything. Uh, Amazon packages, same day, right? If, if yeah. uh, higher ed doesn't meet that, then, then we're in trouble. Yeah. Now, before Corona, you know, everyone wants to go to the most prestigious university. If you, if you take the equation money out, right? I mean, if, yeah. if people could, they probably would go to Harvard or, I don't know, Stanford, you name the university, right? Yeah. Um, from an online perspective, is is that is that similar? Do people also look at more the bigger known entities, or are they much more open to look at universities? You know, like like Claremont Lincoln University, which which is really an online university that doesn't have you know a campus. Um, right. Does that level the playing field a little bit? Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, going back to the first uh, part of your question of, you know, if you take cost off the table, where would students want to attend? And, you know, that is a really interesting question. Um, so much of that is based on the, the type of delivery. So many institutions, you know, you look at it, as you mentioned, Harvard and Stanford, they may not be able to offer online courses to an adult student that's working. 
they're ma- more tailored to an undergraduate student that's going to attend on ground. So the the actual delivery of the education is just as important. But specifically for online schools, to your point, yes, it, it's the playing field's really leveled, right? It's a level playing field. That's why I go back to your point. Distilling the value proposition is so important. I think that's important in higher education. It's also important for for any other industry right now. You know, there there are a lot of businesses that are closing. Competition for customers is heating up, especially in the online space. And how do you distill your value proposition down to a point where people easily understand it and that it differentiates you from the rest of the pack? You know, every institution in the country is offering online education, but why come to Claremont Lincoln University? And so I work very closely with my team to distill that value proposition down to a level where a student goes, oh, okay, this is easy. I, I understand what I'm getting here. I understand that there's transparency behind the cost. I understand what the ROI looks like and, and I'm going to attend. So yeah, to your point, it's, it's competitive, but it's important to really understand the marketing concepts that motivate consumers. So obviously there's a certain bias, I would probably call it, when it comes to which university someone goes to, right, for for their future career or or for their career in general, right? If you if you go to to an Ivy League, you know, your resume probably will make it higher up on a you know an amount of resumes in, in an HR office. Does that play a role again on on the online playing field? Or again, is that is that more leveled? Does it really matter? Where you do your education at the moment, for example, compared to a no COVID or non COVID time? You know, I, I for me, if you're asking me, which I think you are, my answer is no, but it depends. It depends on what you want to buy. Most faculty in the United States now are, are adjunct faculty, which means that they, they're not full-time employees and they teach at multiple institutions. And so you might have a faculty member that teaches at Stanford. They also teach at Claremont Lincoln University, and then they might teach at a for-profit university also. They mm-hmm. teach as many places as they can. So quality of education and quality of faculty is pretty level across uh, across the country, right? So mm-hmm. to your point, you might have somebody at Harvard, somebody at Stanford, and somebody at Claremont Lincoln. That so faculty are teaching where where they can. It's it's a complicated question because I, I think that it's, it's I don't want to say you stumped me, but it's hard to answer because you're buying different things. If you're mm-hmm. going to a Ivy League university, you're buying the network mm-hmm. as much as you are the education, the network, the deep legacy, the the people that are alumni that work at financial companies or wherever that look highly on degrees from this, uh, you know, uh, this school. But for the majority of people across the United States who are looking for a degree, do you need the network? Do you have to have the network? Do you, are you buying a $100,000 network? Or do you just need a piece of paper that says you've completed a master's degree so you can get the $10,000 raise at the job you're already in? That's a big question, right? For the undergraduate student, it might make sense sometimes if you have the money, right? And that's a big thing in higher ed is about equity and access right now. You know, somebody from a, a lower economic quartile isn't going to Harvard. They can't afford it. So, you know, those Ivy League schools are designed for the wealthy. And that's been something of much debate. So the answer is it depends. It depends on what you want to buy, you know, and you're buying different things. You look at some of the big universities have lazy rivers and dining halls that could rival a five-star restaurant, you're not paying that much money for the education. You're paying that much money for everything else that surrounds the education. I see. Okay. Lazy River sounds interesting though. 
Never yeah, it's of. true. I mean, colleges put in lazy rivers around their campus, right? And so you, <laughs> you, 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 you know, and that's what you're buying. Oh, wow, this campus, this college campus has a lazy river. I want to go there and, you know, I could turn 21 and have drinks with my friends in the lazy river. I, it's, uh, it's a different kind of world. Sure, sure. Um, so what I heard basically is that, and you said it, it's like it's, you believe it's more level playing field because, you know, professors can go to different university and probably have, you know, courses at different universities. So if that's the case, how do you then, and I'll, I want to bring this back to marketing now, um, how do you then develop your value prop? If the individuals that teach at your university most likely are not something that you can put out there and say, hey, you know what, Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, teaches at your university and he doesn't teach anywhere else. I mean, people right. would just come and, you know, sign up for your courses. Most likely, yep. because he's such an such an uh, well known figure, right? But sure. if Gary Vaynerchuk does the same thing at three, four, five different universities, I mean, there will still be a run towards all of them, but it will be spread out more. So, how do you develop value props that you can communicate in marketing for higher education? You have to look at what the consumer checklist is and understand that first. When, but even before that, who are you recruiting? You know, for Claremont Lincoln, we're looking at adult students that are already in a job, experiencing some success that want to really perfect and understand socially conscious education. For other schools that are recruiting an 18-year-old student, it's completely different, right? So who's your market? Second of all, what is that market? What is your ideal student looking for in a school? You know, so you look at areas like cost, debt. There are a number of students that are very, very smart, as I said, financially savvy, that don't care necessarily about Gary Vaynerchuk. They care about limiting their student debt so that when they get out and get a job, they're not underwater. Two is time to degree. Longer you're in school is the longer it's taking you to get out and start making money. So for a lot of students, how fast they can get in and get out is a really important factor. Number three, when you look at value proposition, can I go somewhere where I'm awarded credit for my prior learning, right? For the, the best example of what I mean by prior learning experience is like somebody who's in the military. If you're a medical tech in the military and you come out and you try to enroll in school and they tell you, well, I know you were in the military and you were a med tech and, and you were saving lives, but you know you need to start our program all over again. That'd be offensive, right? You need to be awarded credit and reduced time to degree for your experience. And so that's what students, you understand that checklist, then you can really distill down your value proposition to speak to those buying criteria. And that's really what, Stefan, your, your question ultimately is, we need to, higher education needs to look at the student as the buyer with criteria. And the schools that distill down their value proposition to that level of buyer and seller are doing very well. When higher education institutions consider themselves traditional, you know, why do I have to go after the student? They should come to me. That's a much different uh, and harder thing to deal with, right? So that's my answer. It's a, so much of it is, in, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the same thing any business has to go through, right? You have right. to define your target audience. You know, whether you have a SaaS company or, or you're opening a restaurant, you have to think about who are you catering to? Who is your ideal customer? What motivates your ideal customer to come and buy the product or services that you offer from you? 
And, and, and based on that, you need to develop your marketing because that's the point you want to send out to the people that you're interested in engaging with. Yeah. And how does your, how does your buyer change their buying habits given COVID, right? Yeah. Or post-COVID? How are those habits going to be different? And the, the companies that can predict that are better off. Yeah. Yeah. Now, from a, from a channel perspective, is there is there a big difference as it relates to starting to engage with prospective students? Or is it pretty similar to the systems that other industries use as well? Yeah, I mean, we're big in Google and, you know, we're PPC and, and we're doing a lot of LinkedIn. You know, our, our target student is a professional who's working, looking to upgrade their career and leadership. And so we do a lot, we do invest a lot of time in LinkedIn because we, we see a lot of our students are, even our current students have presence on LinkedIn. When you look at that channel, it's a, it's a really high yield channel for us. Um, we do a lot of social ads, uh, Facebook and otherwise, and that creates a lot of uh, quantity, but not as not necessarily the uh, quality. Uh, but that's the balance that has, you know, there's a diminishing returns point. And when we hit that point, we we scale back the dollars. But until that point is reached, we, we are looking at volume. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when a student is uh, headed to Google and they do a search for, you know, online master's degree in ethical leadership or social impact and Claremont Lincoln University pops up and they hit one of our landing pages. The conversion is much higher than it is, you know, when we spend money on on Facebook advertising, for example. So we're really keyed in on ensuring that our keyword set is pulling in the direct and relevant keywords mm-hmm. that that pull a student uh, to a landing page to to at least give them an opportunity to look through the program that we offer. But yeah, I mean, our, we we track channel metrics very closely because we're a small, really nascent institution. We move money around by the day sometimes, depending on what's converting and what's not. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it kind of ties back to what you just said in regards to Google. It's like, if you have a clear understanding of who you're going after, what you're offering, you're able to be much more targeted, even from a paid search perspective, right? You don't have to go after the universe of keywords that potentially could apply to, to, to kind of engage with people or to engage with people that are looking for information for any master's degree. And, you know, so I think that's, that's really important in, in that regard too. Yeah. We have a, you know, for example, we have a master's degree in public administration, which is really a new degree for us. But we pull in some keyword relevancy around social innovation, social entrepreneurship, uh, public policy. Now, somebody might want a master's degree in public policy, but most people don't understand the difference between public policy and public administration. I didn't until I got into it a Mm -hmm. little bit. So we pull in a sphere of people where it's related, but we're not going after unrelated uh, relevancies because we just don't, you know, some people, some schools out there have the spend. I mean, there's there's uh, universities that are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on on search ads and and otherwise. But you know, as a small institutions, we have to just be highly efficient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear you. When we work and, and used to work with uh, universities that have deep pockets, and um, especially from a, from a master's program perspective, spent a lot of money, and um, you know, they can afford it just because of who those universities are. Now, as it relates to moving people through the funnel, obviously, you know, I don't know how well uh, Claremont Lincoln University is known, but when you go out there to communicate or to to attract students, you got to start at the top of the funnel um, and push awareness out. How, How do you do that? And how do you move the prospects through the funnel? That's a good question. And, and, you know, you, 
you're uh, dancing around it a little bit, but it's okay. Claremont Lincoln is not well known. We we know that we're a small startup institution, and part of our our marketing charge is to ensure that we are more well known as we are getting out there into the world. A lot of that comes from graduates, right? Graduates in the workplace and, and so on. So that they become your legacy, but yeah, that's, that's a real challenge for us. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of small startup uh, colleges and universities for small startup businesses is you have to get your name. You have to, you have to get recognition out there. So I, you know, I look at it like this and I think this applies to any industry. There's a really delicate balance between what we call enrollment marketing or direct customer marketing right now. I need a customer right now. And my brand marketing that creates the foundation for customers later. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I look at how do I divide... There's a lot of in-betweens, right? But how do I divide that spend? If I'm behind on a budget or I'm behind on my financials, it puts more pressure on the students right now. We're seeing colleges and universities across the country having a lot of difficulties with declining enrollment. And that puts it, it, what happens is you have to make up that lost revenue. So I need students right now. So I'm going to dump all my money in a lead generation so I can turn a student around quickly. That yeah. takes money from my brand marketing. And so now I'm not going to be able to really put out messaging that's longer term or brand recognition, omnibus ads, because I, I've got the pressure now. So that seesaw that goes back and forth is very difficult to maintain. Right. And I think that's for any business, but certainly it's a big part for us at Claremont Lincoln is how do we become more recognized? And a lot of that comes through partnerships. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I can create a partnership with an organization and I can get referrals from that partnership for students, it reduces my overall acquisition cost for my direct marketing spend. Uh, it also helps my name recognition. Right. Because yeah. the company is associated with me. So we're looking at alternatives that, that help that. Yeah. Now for companies, of different industries, it's always difficult or, or challenging to, as you said, for you to find the right balance between brand and, and, and uh, demand generation budget. How do you solve the challenge to make sure that brand advertising gets enough recognition when it comes to bring people in and then also looking at how they are moving through the funnel? So what I'm talking about basically is attribution at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, we have... Um... We we have attribution modeling. It's as you as you know, Stefan. It's sometimes now with the way technology is, it's very difficult to attribute you know conversion to a single channel because people are looking at three or four channels. So we're you know the the best example I have of that is is back in the past when people ran TV ads. I, th- I think maybe lawyers are the only ones that run TV ads still on like cable TV, where you know somebody would see your commercial two or three times, but then they'd go to your website and submit a lead through your website. And if for higher education, ten years ago, that was our big challenge: is where did this come from? I think now we've we've really looked at a student moving through the funnel. We try to track our UTMs and, and landing pages and all of that, and, and bring them in. But it comes really what it comes down to for us is. Do we have a student who is interested? And if we've generated that student, we can allocate a specific percentage of that interest to channels that we know are working. So to your point, it can get very complicated. It can be very simple. I think it's everybody manages it differently. But for us, as they're moving through the funnel, for it's a percentage allocation that we look at. You know, we we aren't advertising in certain places. So of the three or four places we're putting our dollars, 
we was pretty pretty well known through our through our studies and through our surveying that they're at least seeing two or three of those channels before they submit their information. And so we've got to make sure that we are allocating percentage wise uh, dollars to each of those channels to keep those leads coming through the funnel. Okay. We just talked about the marketing funnel, right? Moving people from the top part awareness uh, down to a point where they are willing to submit contact information and indicate interest and want to find out more. Now, the other part, the, the sales funnel part, obviously is equally important because you know once you have a lead, it needs to be worked in order to become, in your case, a student. How does that work from a higher education perspective? How do you do that? Yeah, yeah great question. And uh, the, the quick answer is a student applies online and uh, this is one of the, if I could, <laughs> the one of the biggest mistakes that colleges and universities make is they have very long application forms on their websites, hmm. right? And, and most people look at it as a, when you think application, you think like people imagine that they're going through and filling out a ton of information to apply for school. When somebody to me says application to me, I'm thinking a little bit bigger lead form than a than a request for information. I want the I don't want the person even if they're interested in applying to spend too much time on my website so that the my bounce rate starts to increase. I want them to submit the information and then I'm going to call them or connect with them later and have them fill out the bigger form once I've had a chance to connect with them. So there we bring them in, they apply, they go through a, a submission period, they have to submit a resume. Uh, and they have to submit unofficial transcripts, right? We have to verify that they've graduated from a bachelor's program and we want to look at their resume. And that's really it. We judge, I don't know judge is the wrong word, but we're looking at the success of the student being directly correlated to their job and work experience. That's mm -hmm. that's the way we look at it. And then the student comes through and they hit the dun, 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 financing part, financial aid, one of the most complicated processes uh, you could possibly go through uh, in financial aid, making it as easy as possible. With any major purchase you make in any industry, you never leave until you understand if you can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> Except a lot of times in higher education, where you apply and weeks go by before you get your financial aid taken care of. It's, it's actually pretty ridiculous. So we move very quickly to get the student through the financial aid process so they understand how much I have to pay every month. Right. Yep. What's my responsibility out of pocket? And then we take them through an orientation period. We have email campaigns that keep them um, uh, interested and part of the university community leading up to their start date. And we run monthly start intakes. So we aren't quarterly or semester like a lot of universities are. We're, we're monthly so that we can cater to the student consumer. Yeah. Now, you just talked about email marketing. When I talk to people, from, especially from the B2B sector, obviously, once a lead is generated there, they get marketing qualified, sales qualified, become an opportunity. And at some point, they, um, they become hopefully you know, a sale. Are those steps existing on the higher education side as well? And if so, are the, is this the same steps or they just have different names? Yeah, I think it's the same steps with different names. I mean, we qualify the lead essentially, and our qualification process is, is simple. It's do they do they have a bachelor's degree? Do they have a GPA in their undergraduate that meets our admissions requirements? Right, that's the qualification process, mm -hmm. and it happens. We have students that don't have their bachelor's degree, and they say, "I want a master's," and we have to say no. You know, so that we have to qualify them and ensure they meet our admissions requirements. Then we basically enroll them, aka we sell them on the education, 
then they go through financing, financial aid, and then they become essentially a customer. So the steps, I believe, are the same. A lot of the differences are around wraparound services that take place, you know, because we're dealing with a student orientation and you know, exposure to the classroom, getting them the link so they can access their first week of homework, you know, going through a census period, the first, you know, eight days of class to ensure they're participating in discussion boards. So there's a lot of student service, wraparound services. It's not just you buy it and you leave and you've got it. We literally have to handhold students through the process so that they, you know, what happened? Education is as much about self-confidence as, as anything else. When a student just goes, I don't know if I should participate today, the next thing you know, three days go by, five days go by, and they say, never mind, I don't want to start school. So, the, so the, and this is probably my last uh, question slash statement. So the after-sales part that, you know, obviously for, for any business is required, but it sounds like for, for higher education or for any form of education probably where people don't come into your class is really important because, I mean, if they, if they don't get into the rhythm of, of, of attending classes, doing, you know, getting engaged and in, in doing the work, I mean, they might drop off sooner than you want them to. I mean, no one wants them to drop off, period, but they might drop off very soon. Yeah, re retention, and it's not, it's for traditional universities with on ground programs, it's for online programs. Retention is very important. So it's really the hard work begins after the sale takes place. You know, you think about a car, for example. We have students that go on, and every university does, students go on leave of absence where mm -hmm. you're hit with something and you take a break. So imagine you buy a car. You know, you buy your Tesla and, uh, you know, after two months, you something happens and you go drive, drive back to the Tesla dealership and you say, hey, look, you know what? I need to take a leave of absence from my car. I just can't afford to have it right now. So I'm going to just leave it here with you guys at the dealership. And, and you know, Tesla says, uh, I don't think so. You bought that car. Get it the hell off my lot. Uh, for higher ed, it's, it's okay. You know, we're going to do everything we can. And now we've got to put the investment into getting you back. You're reminding you to come back and get that Tesla, reminding you to come back and that you still want to take on that Tesla and make the payments and, and get the benefit of having the Tesla when it's going to be very easy for you to say, never mind. And, yeah. and that's what, what uh, retention is all about. Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming onto the Performance Event Podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. If people want to find out more about you or Claremont Lincoln University, how can they get in touch? Um, so our website is www.claremontlincoln.edu. Uh, for anybody that wants to find me, I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, and you can also find me uh, via my podcast, The Ed Up Experience, which focuses on education, higher education. And that's uh, www.edupexperience.com. Wonderful. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered Podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.